0: is the end this. Um, I just, I still love Gordon was sharing and gave us the pray. It was, you know, by heart. And it's one of my favorite verses, it's uh, uh, 1 John uh, 5, verse 21. It's kind of, this, this this verse right on the end. And in the NIV it says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. If you read it in some other versions, it says, uh, Dear children, keep yourself from anything that takes the place of God in your hearts. And, I, and I, I always find that so challenging because there's there's so many things trying to take the place of God in our hearts just as we were praying there. Yeah, so I just I still love how we have just been praying there. Yeah, you know, I'll always respond, yes, Lord, help me because it's amazing what can creep in without us realising it. Sometimes we do realise it and sometimes we don't. Anyway, that was for praying this morning. Uh, so uh yeah, my name is Steve. Uh, I'm really grateful that Adam was leading worship this morning, because uh, i don't have to adjust uh, the lectern here, it's great, it's at the right height, uh, and um, it's so good to be here in Sydney uh, with you. Um, I've been here uh, before, but that was that was way back when actually we were in the cities with other leaders walking the streets, praying about what might happen here, so it's so good to come and see, this is, this is what's happening, and it's really exciting, it's... It's so good uh, to see that. I'm um, also a little bit giddy because I don't normally get let out to play on a Sunday morning. Um, I think you know my colleague uh, David, David King. He's been here a few times and spoken. So David's the one who we send out and he gets to go uh, all over the place. So this is a real long place. So thank you for having me. Um, and I apologise now for anything I do that you weren't expecting. So there you go. Um, if you, I've got a Bible with you. Though I think it's going to come up on the screen as well. I'm going to be... I, I just I've got to read through a little bit passage in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 in just a moment, and, um, uh, and then pull a few thoughts uh, out from that. So, um, if I was going to give a title to this this morning, it's it's based around the theme of God's gentle whisper, because that's the big surprise so just given away within this passage. That's so, uh, so beautiful. But here we have a little bit of background for the passage before we get into. Uh, so we've got uh, uh, King Ahab, who, um, you know, he's been uh, influenced by his, uh, his former wife Jezebel, and um, the the led Israel into idolatry. There's all sorts of things that are going on, and just before this scene that we're going to be reading about, so. Um, uh, we'll be finding out how the power of God you know, really came on the light in some quite amazing uh, ways. Now, this is uh, you know, a wonderful story that it would be great to get into a lot of detail on as well, um, about how he light the feet of the prophets of Baal. You know, it's a fantastic story. I love doing school assemblies. That's a brilliant one to do uh, in the school assemblies and all that. So, uh, but also on the back of that, and then we, we have this. This bit where, uh, after a long drought, um, God sends rain in response uh, to the prayers of Elijah. And then the bit that I absolutely love, we've got out the Lord and the power of Elijah to outrun Ahab's chariots. i love to have seen that. Anybody else have seen that? You're know, outrunning the chariots on, uh, on his little legs there as he wants. So that's the, the background, that's the passage. So we're going to read. So um, it's uh, 1 Kings 19, uh, and I'll read this through recently, quickly, just for uh, the secret of uh, time. My Ahab uh, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and why he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not meet your life like that of one of them. Very not in a good mood here, okay? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Uh, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food He travelled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stands on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the gate. then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aaron, also anoint Jehu, son of of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from that place, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. All whose needs have not went on to bear, and all whose minds have not kissed them." Well, there you go. Long passage. We'll for a reading uh, through that. Um, but, you know, so we, we, we pick up the, the passage, we pick up the story here where, um, it makes sense, so once he was all right, you could, you know, using a own language, we would say he was on a bit of a spiritual man, alright? He had just had his great successes, he just seen some amazing things uh, that were happening, this amazing victory that had taken place on Mount Carmel. And so, um, and maybe, maybe he thought, well, if all the, uh, the prophets of Baal have been put to death, well, well I suggest that probably would end up going in that uh, direction and uh, so. But I see something really important for us to remember here, is that often the most vulnerable point in our life is actually right after we've experienced the mighty victory. Mm. You know, I, I don't know about you, maybe, maybe this is just me. But often I think whenever we've known real success, when we've known real victory, whenever we've seen something really work out well, I think often what happens there is that we can fall into this bit of a trap, a bit, bit of a trap, where we, where we forget who's the one who's brought about that victory and we're trying to do things in our own strength. You know, and, we, and we miss, we, 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 we fall into that place and actually we expose ourselves and make ourselves vulnerable. Because at the, end of the day, you know, we are in a spiritual warfare. There is a spiritual battle that is raging around uh, us and battling around us. And ultimately, it's that point, uh, or at that point of vulnerability, is just after we've experienced this great uh, victory. And this was certainly the case uh, for Elijah. As, as fear seems to take its grip uh, on him, uh, in those moments. Instead of, instead of being impressed uh, with Elijah, we see that Jezebel, she was incredibly angry. She flew into um, a rage. She was, she was demanding his execution. You know, okay? She was not happy. It's safe to say that. That's what we see here. And in many respects, we can probably argue that Elijah, well, he should have just laughed extract laugh. After all, what, did, what had he just seen with the prophets of Baal? You know, why was this going to be any different? Why would God not protect him or help him and deliver him in that situation? But actually, what did he do instead? He ran for his life. And I don't say that with any mocking whatsoever, because I probably would have run a lot sooner than he did. But he ran for his life. Isn't that interesting? You know, Elijah, you've seen these many great things. Even this great event, and he ran for his life. You know, I actually find encouragement uh, in, in that uh, as, as well. But not only did he run for his life, he left his companion, he had been, you know, served, he had been alongside him through the highs. he had been alongside him through uh, many different things, he had left them by his side, he was not isolated, he was not alone, and actually we see as well, he was exhausted, you know, all of these things together. So on the back of this great victory, he's, he's running away. But he's also put himself, he's retreated into isolation. He's taken himself away from the place where he's drawn strength and support and companionship. How often do we do that ourselves, uh, I wonder? And in his despair, he prayed, out that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, take my life. You know, he's right to here in that point. And in, in some respects... You could argue that maybe he let a bit of self-pity grew a bit of a, a victim mentality there in himself. And I don't know about you but I see whenever I give that victim mentality any space in my own life to grow. I don't think straight. It blurs the vision. It blurs the thinking patterns. And I do not think straight. So what was he what was he gonna do? You know, what was what was he to do in this situation? What was gonna help him in these moments? Well, there's two, I think, two important reminders for us. Uh, hopefully, I will get through both of them, but we'll see how we go with time here. The first one is this. It's already been mentioned earlier, but it's the need for rest. You know, we see it quite clearly in the passage here um, of the need for rest for Elijah. I love it. Instead of telling him to suck it up and to snap out of it, come on, pull your You up, know, get on with it, you know, come on, stop feeling sorry for yourself. You know, I've called you, I'll help you, you know, instead of, of, of all of that, God knew the most important medicine that were needed in those moments was rest. That's what he had uh, for. You know, didn't give him another sermon. You know, it's just what he needed to give another sermon. On persevering, on pressing on, on going a bit further, on trusting more. You he know, didn't shower him with shame or guilt or, or anything like that. What have we been giving thanks for? What have we been praising so wonderfully this morning? We're praising because God loves us. Because of his love and his favour on us. And that we're praising him because of his promise. That he is with us at all times. And the promise as well that he knows even our own hiding places. We've all got hiding places. We've all got places that we might retreat to. God knows where these are. God knows what, what even takes us to those places. But the thing is this, you know, we've just been celebrating uh, uh, communion uh, the Lord's Supper there. But when Jesus died on that cross at Calvary, you know, he didn't stay dead did he? he was raised to life again three days later. Not only that, then he ascended to take his place at the right side of the Father. But the great thing for us today is that we're a Pentecost people. Because he promised, didn't he, he wasn't going to leave us alone. He wasn't going to leave us often. He wasn't going to leave us Abandoned. He promised his followers, and he promises each and every one of us in this space uh, today that we can be full of the presence of his Holy Spirit. That's his promise. He hasn't left us. But he's left us one who can help us. And he again, it's been referred to several times, Psalm 100, uh, 139, and you know, well, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, of Lord? And then we read in this passage that an angel came to us and said, get up and eat. You know, providing fresh bread and chocolate water. I went into my my daughters who are here with me and with me today. And I went in and I woke them this morning. And um, I was no angel going in. You know, they may have hoped for an angel to wake them up. They got me instead. And I grabbed them by the shoulder and I just shook them and said, time to get up. You know, simple as that. There was no freshly baked bread. I didn't even take in a glass of water, so then there was none of that. You know, why good is this that an angel, after being woken up by an angel, maybe some of you have been woken up by an angel. I don't know. If you have, come and tell me. I'd love to hear your story. But providing this angel waking them waking up, saying, get up and eat, you know, giving them fresh bread. And like a true meal, after he had a good feed, what did he do? He went back to sleep. <laughs> he had another sleep, didn't he? He went. He went back to, to sleep, but the angel returned and told them, get up again and have some more food, because you'll need it for the journey that lies ahead of you. The reality is this, our bodies are designed to need rest. You know, our bodies, our minds, our emotions are designed to need rest. And we can either waste until we collapse like a large in total uh, ex- exhaustion, or actually, we can take a healthier approach and make sure that we build you know, a healthy rhythm into our lives. Because there's a pressure to go and go and go and go. And we, mustn't, we must be careful that we don't use what I'm saying here as an excuse to not do things. Because we are called, we are called to do stuff. But I see it white having that healthy uh, balance. And too often I think we feel, you know, we're on this mission for God and so therefore we don't read rest. He's going to provide for us as we go. I see quite of God's provision for us that he's built rest in. To help us on that journey and fulfill the call for So don't feel some of us maybe are more easily condemned than others. Don't be afraid. it's actually, don't be afraid to slow down to the pace of your life. To build that healthy rhythm in. It's good to set aside that time for quiet and rest, pressing in to God. It's the love of God that should be our motivation to do things, not so guilt. You know, guilt's the motivating factor. Stop and have a look at why you've got to that space. And we know that God has designed us to be productive, hasn't he? Um, but I see one of the traps that we fall into is that often we tend to build our identity to run our activities. Anyone else find that? Anyone else fall into that trap before or Is it just me? Maybe it's just me? Yeah, okay. Okay, I've got at least one other. We can, we can tend to fall into the of building our identities around what I do. You know, the things that I do, the, you know, that side of things. instead of I see, you know, who I am in Christ. You know, who we are in God. And actually whenever we do that, we're not living in the truth of who God created us to be. My last point on this is that, you know, this resting in God or that that beautiful biblical term is abiding in, isn't it? You know, I love that word, abiding in His presence. And abiding in His presence, it's an, it's an essential ingredient to fulfill the calling of God upon our lives. Now, I love the fact that as church, you're going to be praying together again next Sunday night. Abiding in His presence. Because actually, what is, what's the what's the most important ingredient in, in fulfilling the mission that God has called you to here in City It's Actually, it's all to do with prayer. It's all to do with abiding in His presence. It's all to do with... What is he saying us uh, and uh, finding our, our place and our rest uh, within him as uh, we, we do that? So how are you abiding in his presence in this season? I see the question. I see am I just running ahead with things, doing all the things. I see, is there a healthy rhythm of abiding in his presence built in to who we are and what we're doing? If there isn't, please, I urge you. Stop and make some space for that. Because I say, if you make space for that, that's the thing that, that will be the strength. That will be the springboard, if you like. That will be the sustaining factor to help you to do the things that God has called you to do. And not all the other things that you're adding in that are squeezing God out. Remember, don't let, um, you know, don't let anything take the place of God in your heart. You Remember that 4% a moment ago? To so bear that in mind. Okay. And now, second, second point that I, I see in this as well is that you know, for Elijah, there was a time of real rediscovery, wasn't there? You know, I, I love this. Often, whenever we are emotionally uh, overloaded, I uh, see it can be very easy to think that everybody is against us. And whenever we're just overwhelmed by situations, we you would just think everybody's against us, the world's against us. and, and Maybe I'm exaggerating to a little bit, but you, you get the point, don't you? We can feel that, that everything's against us. And whenever we feel this way, actually, even God can see distance. Even God can see other distance too. And so after regaining his strength, Elijah says that he traveled 40 days, 40 nights, until he, he reached Mount Horah. And actually, this... And um, uh, the, the, the place where he was going, it was over 200 miles away. But even on foot, 200 miles, 40 days and 40 nights, seems like a very long time to get there. I think it was probably by four or five days he did a lot, a lot to get there. It took him 40 days and 40 nights to get there. Why am I telling you this? Because, actually, whenever we are free, whenever we are discouraged, we can't. We, we can tend to wander in the so and take much longer to get where God wants us to be. Whenever we're in that place of the line fear, too much space in our life, whenever we're in that place, all discouragement. And so God decided that Elijah needed to discover truth and wonder. He needed his eyes open again. He needed that fresh revelation if you uh, if you like. Don't you love scripture? You know it doesn't matter how many times you read it, you can read the same passage over and over and over again. And you can still have those moments where you go, whoa, I haven't seen that before. Or maybe something that actually we had seen before, but we've forgotten. But the Spirit of God brings it alive again. And it doesn't matter how many years you've been saved. It doesn't matter how many times you've read Scripture. That can happen to you time and time again. That's the beauty and the wonder of this living um, world uh, that we're, we're, we're looking at. Okay. All right. I better got speak that up here. And so God, God wanted him to, to rediscover truth and to, told him to come out of the cave, told him to stand on the mountain because God was going to pass him by, that's pretty cool, don't you think? Yeah, God was going to pass him by. But it lied to him. He, he didn't have the emotional strength. You know, he was in that place of being overloaded. He didn't have the emotional strength to stand by and open and wait for the Lord's parents. I even wonder if they thought, well, these are going to happen anyway. Here, because he was in that, in that, that, that place. But it actually, do you what, it's a good question to ask ourselves. Do we ever hide, do I, do we ever hide in a cave? I know the answer for myself is yes. And there's one in particular that I think the, the church um, falls into very easily. But let me give you three examples here. Maybe the place that we might hide is the cave or the fence. You know, am I mad at God? Am I mad at somebody uh, else? Have I withdrawn? Because actually, secretly, I'm angry about what, what is going on and what's happened. You know, we're hiding in that cave of events. Maybe another one is that the cave of sadness or pain, many of us have been in that place uh, before. You know, am I feeling numb and isolated from people and places because of a heart of pain or something that has gone on? And, then, and the third example, and this is the one that I think I see it's a big danger for the church. Yeah. Uh, as a whole, it's the cave of comfort. Yeah, yeah. I think we fall into that far, far, far too easily. You know, are we wrapped up in our own comfort as a result? We stop listening, and so we're seeing the desires of God, or more importantly, the needs of others—the loss, the hurt, the hurting, the broken. You know, everything that is around us. But I see, I'm, I'm doing alright over here, so I can carry on. You know, we're, we're in that field of comfort where actually it shuts us off a bit to the realities of the, of the real <coughs> torment and the lostness, the darkness you know, that is uh, around us. But um, you know, while Elijah's in the cave, we see you know, this violent, rushing wind, sweeping across the ridges. The Bible says God wasn't in the wind. The earthquake rips through the entire area, But it says that God wasn't in the earthquake. I'm skipping through this really quickly, but just imagine Imagine these things that are happening. I can't imagine it, actually. You know, trying to get your head around it. You know, a furious fire that consumed everything, but God wasn't in the fire. I think I would have stayed in the cave, in all honesty. It was all of that uh, going, going on. But it's this. You know, the surprise in the midst of it. You know, where was God? He was in the gentle whisper. In the gentle whisper. How often... We fall into the trap of expecting God to work in our lives by the big, flashing neon lights, big voice, you know, big events, whatever it is. And often He's saying, "Just sit down, be still," and He just whisper something really important into your life. And we fall into the trap of thinking. You know, of how God must, be, must work with fire, with noise, with smoke, with power, with all of these things. But you know what? God works. Even when it seems as if everything is at a standstill. But yeah, God is still very much at work And so through scripture, through this book, you know, we have time and time again many, many stories telling us, uh, r- reminding us of the message that even whenever things seems completely uh, hopeless, whenever it seems as if nothing at all is happening, in the resources and the activity of God, actually some of the greatest things of all are happening and taking uh, place. You know, Elijah needed a reminder that God was with him when things were going well. And when things were tough. You know, we sang the song earlier in the cornerstone. That is the truth. You know, hearing those words, was, we are reminded again. Yeah, you know that God was still very much in charge of the circumstances. He was so deeply involved. You know, through that you know, we sang the words, "Was that through the storm, He anchor holds." You know, that was just brought alive this well this morning. So let me finish with this. There's times in our lives. When God wants us to slow down, um, there's times in our lives when God wants us to speed up as well. All right? So we mustn't hide behind some of these things as an excuse. But there are times when God wants us to slow down, when God wants us to refocus, when God wants us to rediscover him and be more effective for his kingdom. Max Lucado, you may have heard that name before, he says this, I'm sure some of you will have heard this um, before. He says, God likes you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. That is the truth. So let's be the people who aren't hiding, But let's be the people who are ready. Let's be the people who are seeking, which I know you are. You know, his ongoing transformation in and through the powerful, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay? Can I just cry quickly to our... Father, I want to thank you for Hot Church sitting Father, I want to thank you for your call and your purposes that you revealed to them. Father God, the things that you're, you're doing through them. Father, thank you for this community. Father, thank you for the brothers and sisters here. Father, thank you for the heart and the desire for your name and for your kingdom. Uh, Father, and I, I I ask today, Lord Jesus, that as they gather together in these times of fellowship, in these times of prayer, as they press on together. Lord, so whether that be corporately or whether that be at a private and individual level, Lord, we pray for that ongoing healthy rhythm of abiding in you, of being in your presence, Lord God, that will sustain them and strengthen them and help them in all that you have called for them. So, Lord, we know the danger of trying to do anything in our own strength, and that's why we want to spend this time abiding in your presence. So we ask, Spirit of the living God, would you continue to fall upon, would you continue to dwell, would you continue to infill my brothers and sisters here as they seek to bring glory to your name, as they seek to see your kingdom come and say, for as it is in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Stanford.